Hello and welcome to Max Volume Meetups. I'm your host, Jessica Jacks, presenting you with a pre-recorded live Q&A event with the Dark Prince of Synth, James Lawler, otherwise known by his adoring fans as Ghost. Join us as we dwell on the dark side of Synthwave and find out how James's music career unfolded in unrelenting success. We'll twist the knife on the deeper details within some of the lesser known facts about who he is with and without his mass persona. Ready or not, here we go. Hello and welcome to CyberDrive Radio. I'm your host, Jessica Jacks, and today we have the privilege of welcoming Ghost to our show. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Doing pretty good, pretty good, excited. So I guess we're off to the races. Tell the world who you are and what you do. My name is James Lawler. I go by Ghost. I've been producing electronic music under that name now for, I think, like eight years. And that's pretty much it. I'm also a husband and a father and all the other things that humans <laughs> all are. All the things. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and obviously, it's like, yes, I am human. <laughs> when did you realize that you wanted to become a music artist? I remember being really young. As far back as I can remember, my mom used to listen to pretty decent music back in the 80s. And so I was always privy to hear new, newer music, newer metal and rock. And then my brother was into new wave and all of that. And he was he's 11 years older than me. So he was into all the great stuff when I was like five years old. And so I just remember seeing like MTV back in the day and just knowing that that's what I wanted to do. I feel like it's always family members that tend to like influence our tastes like early, early on. My sister was one of those people too. Walk me through your first experience with Dark Sin. I guess it would probably be aimfully Kabinsky, most likely. You could kind of call that Dark Synth, his earlier stuff's kind of dark. And then yeah. maybe Laserhawk was probably the first time I heard anybody doing like the older sounds in a newer way, like as a music project, not just like some sort of soundtrack. I mean, it was probably around 2007 where I started kind of seeing it here and there. I think what really uh, kind of solidified it as far as going in a darker direction for me was hearing um, Perturbator's early stuff. We're friends now, but we weren't then. And <laughs> so, yeah, it was at the time, 2007, 2008, it's when my first child was born. So I started making music on the computer. When it comes to Kavinsky and Laserhawk, were there any songs like specifically that you remember that contributed to that experience? The Eddie Boy EP by Kavinsky, I think, was that early stuff. I don't remember the names of the songs. I should because they're like cars. They're like the names of cars or something. It's pretty. Yeah, I think he's working on something, but it's very much under wraps. So I'm really excited about that, too. What genre would you classify yourself as? I don't even know anymore. Just heavy electronic, I guess. It's just gone in so many different directions over the last eight years or so. I mean, Dark Synth's fun. The guy from Blood Music made up Slasher Wave, which is kind of silly, but... <laughs> I love that. What's so funny is, like, I actually named my Dark Synth playlist on Spotify that. I put, like, Slasher vibes. And if you have your music called by its own genre, what would you name it? I know we classify everything out of necessity, but um, I, it's hard to refer to like any newer, new wave sounding music as anything other than post-punk to me. I guess Slasher Wave actually fits pretty well, to be honest. There's a lot of, you know, slasher arpeggios in all of my music, so I think it works. Absolutely. I think so, too. Tell me the wildest moment you've had during your music career on or off the stage. There were several stories on the tour with Mayhem and Goldsworth that were absolutely either ridiculous horrible or amazing but i guess like my favorite moment probably at least of touring and and being ghost is right after probably like the fourth show on that mayhem tour gall came up came into my dressing room after after his set he's still all sweaty he's got all his corpse paint on and he kneels down in front of me like like super close and i'm already intimidated because i don't know the guy <laughs> and he's like it's okay we need to talk and i'm like oh my god like, we need to talk about your vocals. And I'm just like, he's going to tell me I suck. But he says, uh, <laughs> he's like, we got a song. I want you to come sing with me on stage. So I got to perform with him on stage several times. Wow. Mind blown. Because, I mean, it wasn't long ago I was watching documentaries of the early black metal scene. Because I know those guys are 
And a lot of those guys are not awesome people, but it's still really interesting to me the way that scene grew and got so violent. It's insane. That must have been really intimidating. I totally, I totally get that. <laughs> Especially when he's like, I want to talk, talk to you about your vulgars. You're like, oh God. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, when it comes to friends, family, and relationships with other artists, who has supported you the most throughout your journey? My wife, for sure, has always been the most supportive. As far as like people like in the industry, James Kent from Perturbator and um, my current manager, Seb Bailey. Me and James, we constantly share each other's new music and critique it and trying to help each other get better mixes. And then Seb's just always, always fighting for me. You know, even if we're in the middle of a pandemic and nobody's really making any money, he's still working every day. At home, it's definitely my wife. She, you know, she takes care of everything while I'm gone and it, she's amazing. <laughs> Love it. Love it. It's so awesome that you have Perturbator once you were a fan and now you guys are like cohorts and you have that support system with him. You know, that's really incredible. What struggles did you face coming up as an artist and that you face now? The struggles are just, you know, being creative without you know, totally losing your essence without burning yourself out because each full length record, it, it takes out of me anyway, personally, like physically, my ears, I deal with a lot of tinnitus because of mixing for hours on end. And uh, starting out is all, it's just getting recognized, getting people to listen to your music. And then also the technicality of everything, learning how to mix and master because, uh, you know, I wasn't really an engineer. I was a musician and I kind of had to make myself become more of an engineer. So definitely engineering and just being heard. How about now? So you said the tinnitus mostly, like it's health related. Yeah, that and being completely reliant on ghosts now financially when something like coronavirus happens it's pretty devastating you know um, not being able to play shows and things like that but other than that it's really just the traveling i like seeing the places i like playing shows but being gone and being on air on an airplane or an airport for 20 hours at a time that's definitely like my biggest struggle <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there's definitely like a push and pull when it comes to touring. It's like part of you is like so exhausted. And then another part of you is like, you know, this is kind of like my lifeblood right now. You know, I was actually talking to Perturbator's merchandiser. He was talking about how important merchandise is and how like in a single night, you guys basically sell a month's worth of like online sales typically. Um, yeah. So I thought that was really enlightening to know like, merchandise is just such a huge part of that income that you that you now have to rely on with the pandemic going on you know? it is i mean i mean a tour you know the guarantees that you make every night uh, that goes into the cost of the tour you know whoever you have with you uh, paying for the gas all the little if everything breaks on tour so you have to buy something every other day it's insane so the merch is definitely probably the most important financial aspect for the artist on, a, on a, any tour. Absolutely. And um, which, uh, which, which merchandiser did you talk to? <laughs> which merchandiser? Um, Big Cartel Records, which is now going to, well, Useless Pride Records specifically okay, is okay. in France. Yeah. So they're apparently they're like switching or something. Um, yeah, I work, I work with the same people over there. So Yeah, he's really cool. Olivier is his name. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah. It was really yeah. nice talking to him. I think we're planning on like a second episode too. So it's pretty cool. fun. It was kind of a funny story because I meant to be emailing Perturbator and then I guess it links to the merchandiser. And so I was like, okay. He goes, oh, I'll forward your email over to James' manager. And I was like, holy shit, cool. And then it was like, oh, actually, they're not doing interviews right now. It was like, okay, so what about you? You want to talk to me? He's like, okay. So it was pretty cool. What was your all-time favorite performance? It's hard because, like, I can't say it's, like, necessarily the biggest show I've ever played because some of the smaller shows are... the, the, the I, Actually, I, probably one of the most memorable experiences I've had recently was Los Angeles uh, last year on the headlining tour. I met some really cool people. I have a lot of friends in Los Angeles because everybody that works in the industry lives there, and uh, it was just a really good crowd. There was no, like, lulls in the night, like, on stage. Everything just felt to like really run seamlessly and everybody was having an absolute blast. I mean, there's, there's like pictures of me just like grinning ear to ear. And then you can see like everybody's just smiling. So that was probably my most memorable that I can think of right now. 
Was it really just the energy of that performance that you think was maybe the biggest takeaway as being like a headliner for the show? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you can get the same kind of vibe being support as well as headliner, but it's still a little easier, obviously, when you're the main the main band that people are coming to see. But that night was just kind of perfect all the way around. What does your ideal performance look, feel, and sound like? My ideal performance is me selling out Madison Square Garden. (laughs) (laughs) It looks crazy, but um, that's probably not realistically going to happen. But I don't know. Actually, I really do enjoy a small, smelly, dirty... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, there's just something about it. You know, I didn't realize I missed it until now we can't go. I miss that. It's just such a connection that you get, you know, with live music, whether you're performing or if you're, you know, really into the, the band. It's just, I don't know, I took it for granted, 100% took it for granted. I think once you get back into it, you're really going to feel so much more like at home, you know? And I think that's a big dream to have, but I think it's a good, like, big dream to have. You know, having the big, wide performance and difference to, like, the smaller venues. It's a huge difference, but at the same time, it's like that vibe and that energy that you're sharing between you and the audience is still there, you know? Yes. Yeah, totally. Which tattoo is your favorite and what's your story behind it? My favorite, my favorite. Um, I probably will say um i have both of my uh, daughter's names right here uh that's probably my favorite i like my face tattoos because they bother people and (laughs) it's it's pretty hilarious to watch people look at me in public that's been a lot of fun so do people just seem like shocked or they're just like not expecting it (laughs) almost like super curious especially like younger kids they're just like they're shameless anyway you know they just stare anyway but yeah. They'll like, if I'm at the park with my kids, they'll, the kids will just like walk back and forth and just stare. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to be really inconspicuous, but they're actually super obvious. Exactly. <laughs> Describe uh, your process when it comes to producing music. Like what are your absolute must do's mentally, physically, and emotionally? Must do is coffee first. Absolutely. <laughs> and anything. And then I usually like, you know, some incense or and, and or sage the room just to like, it lightens the vibe. And I think I use it as a ritual to like, just focus on, you know, what I want to achieve during the day or whatever. And then really just being comfortable. And I tried to, I've tried to produce while on the road and it's, if you can do that, that's awesome, but it's very difficult. So, I mean, it really, I would say the main thing is just being comfortable and being in this room specifically. And what does producing on the road look like? Is that like renting out a studio for like a couple hours or or whatever, depending on where you're at? No. Or no, it's well. I mean, I guess if I was using live musicians, I'd have to do something. But I mean, it's just uh, I would just be using my computer. But it's just when you're on on tour, you know, you get to a venue, you load in, you sound check, and then you have a little bit of time to kind of calm down. But I mean, the last thing I want to be doing is producing because it, like I produce like at all volume levels, you know, so very quietly and very loudly. So by the time I'm done, even if I'm just working for like three hours, uh, I'm very overstimulated and almost like anxious. So it's just already anxious on the road and then trying to do that and then get focused on performing well. It's it's, doesn't work for me. Too much on one plate. I get it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I especially like what you said about like setting your intentions when you are producing music at home. Like that's super important to do. Like in no matter what you're doing is setting intention. Let's talk masks. So what is the story behind the persona and how has it evolved over time from skull to face paint? Okay. So the story is obviously the early stuff is really based on horror movie music, soundtrack music. And I wanted to portray like a slasher character on stage. So there were no vocals, it was just dance music. And for some reason, no one's ever used a human skull for a slasher movie. It should be done. There's a lot of room there to get creative, obviously. (laughs) I'm really influenced by like Daft Punk and Danger and Bloody Beetroots and all those guys wear masks. And it was just kind of a thing. You know, in the early 2000s, everybody was doing it. And so it just kind of felt right. I've never you know, played in metal bands up until I started this. So I, there wasn't much uh, adventure, you know, in creativity as far as like the way I presented myself. 
you know, metal bands today, they look like they just rolled out of bed <laughs> on stage. No offense. So about the face paint, like what made you change from the skull to the face paint? Was it just easier, less hot? Like what, what was it? It was because of the incorporation of all the vocals. Um, I can't uh, sing yeah. a mask. I tried, I tried even a latex mask. I think the dude from Ghost wears one, the other Ghost. It just sounds strange. You can hear the lips of the mask. They don't work. I don't know how he does it. So gotcha. it was mainly just out of convenience. And I wore the skull mask for, I guess, around like five years. So I was kind of sick of it. I don't know, you know, how bands like Kiss do it for 40 <laughs> plus years. It's insane. I don't know either, man. And he looks like completely different from the face paint to like how he actually looks too. And I feel like for you, it's like kind of like the crow vibe. I get the crow vibe a lot. And then there's like a wrestler that uses face paint like that too. Sting, yeah, yes. Sting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I was always so like, <laughs> I was so like enamored with him uh, growing up too. And like, I have like a wrestling family um, as far as like my grandmother would always watch it. So we would always watch it. And every time he would show up, I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, and, I never really liked wrestling, but my friends did and I'd be, after school at someone's house and every time he came out i was like okay yeah i can fuck with this dude <laughs> awesome what other genres get your attention and admiration and have you dabbled with any of them so many it, you know i live music in general as far as like performance you know on actual instruments not just synthesizers or a computer is, is so respectful for me because it's so challenging and it takes years and years for most people to to master an instrument you know i like everything from sade and like hank williams senior to fucking all the way to like mozart and everything in between i don't like a lot of i guess newer rock and new country that's like on the radio. I don't know what happened to the radio, but it's completely out of control now and it's horrible. I just respect when something's done well and I can hear the passion, you know, in it. Because I think recording, uh, one of the art forms of, of recording music is conveying that passion because if you work too hard to make it perfect, you're going to lose a lot of vibe and it's difficult not to. So when it's done and done well, I can appreciate it in just about any genre. Lately, you know what I'm producing? I'm on uh, working on the new album. I don't really listen to much, so I don't really have anything that I'm listening to currently, unfortunately. And then as far as dabbling with any, like what have you incorporated the most, I think, out of like other genres into your current sound? I really like combining crazy genres. I think it's great we're living at a time where people are more people are doing that and it's getting harder to get whole bands and artists into one sort of thing, which I think in the long run will work out for artists as well because, you know, you're not part of a trend. You just do your own thing and you, you don't have to worry about ever being that band and having yeah. to come back, you know, like ever being like one biscuit or anything like that, <laughs> which is a tough place to be in. I think it's important just to kind of let things flow as they will as an artist and not to, you know, box yourself in. So... I try to combine Absolutely. as much as I can. Absolutely. And like as a fan, sometimes there's growing pains, you know, when like a, an artist changes their sound. But it's important to remember, like, even though genres exist, they shouldn't serve to be a box. You shouldn't limit what the artist wants to do, because ultimately it's you and it's your sound and it's it's your personal brand, you know, and it's what you feel in the moment and what you really want to put out there. So I think with fans, it's like we get these little nuances of being a little bit selfish sometimes. And that's with any band, you know, when they change even slightly. So like, it's important to just remember and to like give that space for change to happen. Yeah, because we all change. We all change constantly throughout our lives. So expecting an artist to be able to stay inspired making the same record over and over is just unrealistic. Exactly. I think a lot of times that's why, you know, you'll see bands that are great. that will just kind of disappear for long periods of time. And I think it's just because, you know, once you get to a certain level and people start expect a certain thing out of you and you don't feel that vibe anymore, it's, it's almost impossible to create. What's the point? Uh, because in my opinion, creating is supposed to be about progression and change and all the positive things about being, you know, a person on this weird ass planet. What universal issues resonate with you that your music reflects or resolves? I think a lot of times people go to music 
especially heavier music for, you know, like a, a stress relief and escape. And that's absolutely what it is for me because, you know, life can be difficult and challenging and horrible and, you know, just gross. Uh, so I hope that that's what people get out of my music. That's what I get out of it. And if it makes someone feel better and makes somebody's life a little better, then that's fucking awesome. What is the best advice you can give to aspiring music artists? It's easy now. Stay at home, work on music when your friends want to do, you know, normal friends stuff. You just have to be really committed. And, and people are going to tell you to quit. And they're going to tell you to quit all the time. It's not worth it. It's a dream. You know, you need to be who everyone expects you to be. But it's usually the people that become noticed in any way artistically are the people that don't listen to people trying to tell them they can't and, and you're, you're you're always the last like most of my friends have quit making music and that's just they asked me how i did it and that's my answer i just didn't quit um i've been through hundreds of failed projects before this ever did anything so you, yeah just practice 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 and then maybe you'll be cool people get it back <laughs> People get it backwards all the time. People try to be cool first <laughs> and then become an artist. Yeah, I've noticed that quite a bit lately. I don't want to name names. It's just like people feel like they need to personify their persona already, like the winner persona that they're already doing, even though they just started. And it's like, slow down, chief. Like, it's okay. Right. You know, you grow into that. It, it seems like you grow into that more than it, you just take it on and then you just, you know. Right. It's difficult with social media, you know, everybody can project a certain image. So I think it's creating this weird, I know this is off subject, but uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's this weird social dilemma now. We don't really connect anymore. You know, everybody screams at each other on the internet, but you don't go over to your neighbor's house and yell at each other. You know, even if somebody, it's somebody that you don't agree with on anything, you're still going to have a cordial conversation nine times out of 10. So it creates this faceless fake way of being judging acting living i think it's dangerous people need to probably have as many actual connections uh, with a dog anything get off the fucking social media every now and then because it will it's toxic and yes i, I think it creates that whole i'm already successful because you have to be on the internet you don't present it because people go back and they find shit that you made years ago and they'll make fun of you demoralize you over it so yeah. It's just vanity metrics. And there's a lot of comparison, I think, in the game of music, too. It's so weird, I guess, to me, because I'm like, you know, as creatives, you were talking about how like creatives are technically the rebellious ones. And the last one is the one that ends up being the one that persisted through it the most. And so I guess what I'm saying is like, it's kind of weird because when it comes to music, it's like, that's your vibe. Like, that's your sound. It's nobody else's. That's something that you did. Nobody else touched it. So when it comes to comparison levels and stuff, it's like, there's really no need to compare it analytically, like through numbers and all that stuff between you and like somebody else, because it's completely different. So yeah. we all try to find ways to compare ourselves to others, even though we want to be different. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. It's a weird paradox of being human. I mean, it's always been that way. It's not just social media causing yeah. a problem. I mean, yeah, there's competition in art, but I mean, as long as competition is healthy, it's good. It can be a driving force in making people better. The minute you know that you take it to some toxic, weird place and some sort of elitism, that's where, you know, you lose me. And there's a lot of that in music as there is in everything. What hobbies do you enjoy outside of music? It's funny because this used to be my hobby, so <laughs> right. um, I, I like to I like to have a bike. I like to ride like a BMX bike. I used to do that when I was younger, and I've recently started just kind of messing around with that. And um, I still paint every now and then, you know, once or twice a year. I'll do a pretty big piece. I'm playing Monopoly right now with my family. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's when. <laughs> I forgot how that game takes like six weeks to fucking complete. I know, right? It takes forever. They had like a digital version on the PlayStation for a minute too. I think it was like the PlayStation 3 had like a digital Monopoly version. It was, still took forever. Didn't, yeah. didn't accelerate anything. <laughs> um, well, at least you save the game. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just, we didn't have the board game, so we just used the digital one. Don't judge. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm saying you can save it instead of just leaving it on a table for, you know, I know, right? 
<laughs> true, true. Okay, so tell me about your occult practices and beliefs. I'm really like interested in this just because like I'm kind of like a nerd about it, I guess. And so it intrigues me. And so I wanted to ask you about it. For me, it's just like an extension of, of being creative because in my opinion, I mean, people definitely actually follow, you know, practices. I have pretty close friends that do, but um, it's never really made sense to me uh, in my head as reality other than, you know, Religion is obviously made up by someone at some point along the lines or loads of people and it gets changed and edited and all these things. So for me, it's always just been kind of fun. I mean, you know, you, you study the Greek mythology early on in school. And once we kind of got into that, I, I kind of started to realize things for how they are. And I, I do, like I said, I burn sage and I burn Palo Santo and uh, I have actually done satanic rituals to try and summon the devil. They didn't work, obviously, unfortunately. Maybe they did work, and maybe this is my hell and coronavirus is a figment of my imagination. I don't know. But, um, no offense to anyone affected. But any, it's, yeah, I don't really have any practices that I, that I do, like, stick to. But like I said, I do have friends that practice magic, like, at, like, on a real level. They believe that it's changing their lives. And, I mean, artists that you know, it's definitely a thing that I'm, I'm in contact with. For me, I've always been more into just the reality of being alive, if that is, in fact, reality, at least my perception of it, and not, you know, focusing on what happens after, or if I'm being judged, or if I can change someone through a sort of ritual or spell. If I do practice anything, it's just out of sheer boredom and entertainment. It's interesting how you described it as like an extension of you and, you know, testing reality, kind of. I feel like that's part of what interests people at first, the curiosity factor. Will something happen? Did it already happen? And it keeps us kind of on our toes, depending on what you do, what your religious practice is, or if it's a cult, or if it's Christianity or whatever, whatever it is that you believe in. I'm an omnist, so I believe that like all religions have some minor truth to them. But you're right, it has exchanged so many hands that it's so hard to be able to confront the original source. So yeah. it's like the older you go back, the more like, I guess, authentic it feels. So I, yeah, I get that. Like the Sumerian stuff and all that. Like, that's really yes. interesting. Like the early gods and the early, I mean, all this, the new age stories come from the old world, exactly. which that's super interesting to me. I mean, it's like the dawn of modern civilization, the formation of religion, the worshiping of gods, you know, holding people accountable for moral you know, misgivings or whatever. Yeah, they had an explanation for everything. And then it's like, um, what really fascinates me, because I was like studying mythology kind of like on a whim. I had a whole like YouTube channel and stuff, whatever. I was a nerd. I still am. And one of the things that really fascinated me is that certain stories are basically almost reflecting off of each other. They all are different parts of the world and they all happen super early on. But it's like we didn't have connection with like the other side of the planet. So how did the same thing happen to them? that happened to somebody else. So that's always been, yeah, that's always been really interesting to me. Yeah, uh, the virgin birth, that shit is in like every religion, like going back as far as you can fucking get. It's insane. That is interesting. Uh, I would, you'd have to guess that either aliens are fucking real, <laughs> God's real, or <laughs> people maybe traveled more than we know back then. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I know that people got to Hawaii somehow. No, I don't think that we evolved on that island as as humans. I don't. I don't think. I, I haven't really looked into it, but I'm pretty sure they actually had little tiny ass boats that they took all the way out there. So maybe people yeah. traveled more. Yeah. Who knows? That or pigeons were just super fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite slasher movie and video game? Favorite slasher is Halloween purely because it's the perfect aesthetic. You never see the killer. He never talks. Soundtracks perfect and, and it happens during halloween which is one of my favorite times of the year you know i mean that's every american kid loves fucking halloween you get to dress up you get to get candy and it's it's dark and different than you know christmas and thanksgiving you don't have to sit around a table with your family and eat a fucking dead bird or whatever um <laughs> a video game i play i'm playing a game right now called sky it's a, it's on my iphone it's a neat little community-based game and it's based on like you don't you can chat with people but it's more on like gestures so it's kind of 
like cute in a way, I guess. It's real positive. Everybody's always talking about world peace on there and stuff. So. <laughs> but, you know, but like maybe older, probably like 3D World Runner on the original Nintendo system. I don't know if you haven't heard of it, don't play it because it's the most frustrating game in the in the world. But it was like the what was the first like that I remember game where you're like going into the world, you know, from your yourself. It's not first person shooter. You still see the character, but you're like going forward and not across. You know what I mean? So it's not first person shooter, but you can still see yourself. Okay, gotcha. You jump over these big holes. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play a lot of video games growing up? Oh yeah, um, when the first, when Nintendo came out, I mean, that's all me and my friends did. We played those games for hours. I mean, you know, everybody bitches now that young people are on their phones all the time. We spent eight hours a day playing video games in the summer when I was younger. So, I mean, but yeah, I mean, growing up, that was like our thing, you know, our parents didn't know anything about it. So it was, it was cool when, when Nintendo hit. I mean, I remember... <laughs> And then my dad found out about it and like started playing all my games and he'd be in like my room before school in the morning and I'm trying to like, I'm like trying to get on there and beat a level and he's obsessed with it and I don't even need to play my own Nintendo or whatever. <laughs> That's messed up. Our parents would give us video games just so we could preoccupy ourselves, you know, like my parents were super busy all the time, always working. So I get it. Yeah. You had mentioned before um, in our earlier conversation that you play video games with your daughter too. Yeah, right now we're playing Breath of the Wild Zelda on Switch. Pretty amazing game. It's my youngest. She's like really into like, she's just now starting to like get into coding and stuff. She's a little smarter than I am or more into math, I guess. And uh, so she loves video games. So it's nice to have that with her. But that game, Breath of the Wild, is immense. Uh, it's a pretty, I, I didn't really get the Switch until she got it. And I was like, uh, this is probably the best gaming system I think ever because you know she has the the dock where you can dock it to the the, the TV and play it as a regular game. So mm -hmm. it's just so intuitive and there's so much room for growth with that system. Yeah, absolutely. It's so cool that you know she's an early gamer. My daughter's an early gamer. She was playing Hollow Knight, and that's like a super difficult game. It's like um, these little bugs as characters, but it's like Dark Souls like hard. So she was like playing it, and I was like. I don't know how you're doing this, but it's pretty cool. She didn't get too yeah. far, but she got like first like few levels or so with some help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which obscure indie artist is your favorite? I really like that band True Body. I think they're on Funeral Party Records. Drag Majesty, they're not really obscure anymore. I mean, that's kind of my go-to right now, which is and it's probably pretty obvious. I've been listening to a lot of post-punk type stuff, new wave stuff with the latest ghosts. I mean, even the newer one will be a little more obvious. It's gonna have some pretty industrial vibes. So I've been listening to stuff like that. And, and anything that Funeral Party or Sergeant House puts out is usually pretty amazing. Lingua Ignata, she's not really obscure anymore either. If you ever get a chance to see her live, it's a sight to behold. I'll definitely take very, note of very, that. Very, very artist, very passionate. Do you have any modern billboard favorites at all? The weekend, I guess, because he works with Daft Punk. I like Cardi B. She's pretty fucking punk rock. She does not give a damn. I really like a lot of the newer hip hop too. The Juice World dude that just died. I loved Lil Peep. That's he was just about to probably break onto the actual Billboard charts and stuff. Um, yeah. So the stuff out there, I like Travis Scott. I've always liked Drake. There's some stuff. It's all like hip hop and R&B. I think really, if it's modern that I like. Yeah. Well, I feel like they're the most consistent change, I think, you know, with sound. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense because it's like consistent and change. But you know what I mean? Like, they always find something different to do. And like with The weekend, they're very much synthy. And it's like yeah. our only like, <laughs> our only hype man for the synthwave scene, honestly. He's like <laughs> out there and he's doing his thing, but he won't he won't name names or anything. But we're like, we know where you got your shit from. <laughs> we, we get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that baseline before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what element do your vocal tracks provide that your instrumental work doesn't and vice versa? It just gives me a, like a lot more, you know, like avenues to explore creatively. It changes the way I structure songs. And I think live, it really adds to it. Uh, you know, when I get it right, some performances are off. It's definitely diff more difficult. It hasn't made my life easier. 
I think with the new album, I'm you know I'm producing this one entirely myself, like I did everyone except for Valediction. So it's got more of a possessor meets behemoth meets Valediction sound with some like industrial thrown in there. So the vocals are are much more. I feel like you're gonna hear the passion and everything behind them comes out better. So just that for me, it's another way to express myself. Right, and your instrumental work. What is that? provide that your vocal tracks don't. I mean, it's easier, sort of. It's harder uh, because you have to come up with newer and interesting ways to structure songs. Because it just if you just do verse, like intro, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, outro, every song, then they start to sound the same. So yeah, that's definitely challenging. And as far as like easy, I mean, performing that live is, it's super simple. Uh, there's, there's not much that goes into it, you know just play a few of the synth lines. There's no way I can play the entire song on any of the early records on synth. So I'd have to have like eight hands to do it, so. <laughs> right, right. Describe the evolution of dark synth from when you started to where you are right now. And how has that scene played a hand in the way that your own music has evolved? I mean, it was really fringe in the beginning. There was nothing are you there? Can you hear me? Like, I'm totally yeah. frozen. Yeah, okay. I can hear you. Well, yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, it was really fringe. There wasn't many artists. And now if you go to Bandcamp and you search Dark Synth or Synthwave, you're going to find hundreds, hundreds of artists. Um, it's changed because now it's a thing. It was like 10 of us early on. And now it's, um, you know, just grown into this huge thing that has subgenres in itself. So uh, that's what's changed about it. And there's so many more uh, uh, ways to experience it live. Yeah, absolutely. How has the scene played a hand in the way your own music has evolved? Just like the few of us that tour a lot, getting to meet those people and and, uh, be around them, getting to know them, uh, bounce ideas off of them has really changed us all, especially, I think, you know, like me and James, our music has changed quite a bit uh, over the last four or five years. And that's just because every time I hear him do something new or vice versa, we just we push each other. That's probably been one of the best things about this actually becoming a scene. That and there's always someone new that's doing something quite well. So it's always, you know, you kind of have to stay on your toes. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious too, um, in maybe the not so dark synth side, who would you say you enjoy listening to on just like the synthwave side? Miami Nights, that dude's cool. He's really talented, uh, obviously. Uh, you know, not all of Laser Hawk's stuff is um, dark. The Midnight, they're doing super well. I, I don't really listen to them much, but I appreciate how well they've done. And, uh, that new song the gunship did with Kat Von D, that was pretty decent. I just don't really listen to much synthwave anymore because I've been doing it for so long. There's still so many bands that put out stuff that sounds like everything that people were putting out six years ago. So okay. it someone has to bring it to my attention. Otherwise, I just won't notice it. And that's kind of with everything right now. I'm so locked in to uh, just my personal life these days that, you know, if it's not shoved in my face, then I'm probably not going to see it. But that's good. That just means you're really focused on what you're doing, you know, and you're really driven. I just, I threw that wild card question out there because I really wanted, I was just randomly curious about it. As someone who has performed with uh, the great gods of the dark synth world, who would you want to open for, who would you want to open for you now that you are at headliner status? I like mixing tours up with things that are, you know, dissimilar. But opening up wise, like I said, I, it's hard for me to think of any newer bands. I like um, all the stuff that's happening in like the more goth industrial part of music or whatever. I like Plague Plague. I met that dude on the tour with Three Teeth. Uh, it would be really awesome to tour with him. Um, we're, we're working on a tour with Health. I'm not going to be headlining that, but that that would that could be cool. And like I said, I just don't know many smaller acts right now. You know, people send me stuff all the time, but um, you know, most of the time it's just like, hey, uh, tell me how to do this or <laughs> listen to my mixtape. Yeah, basically. So 
I want to be inspired. That would be nice to find. Actually, I'll tell you what. Uh, there's a dude that's going to be playing with um, Ghosts uh, next year, whenever we come back. Uh, and he's in a band called Temple of Angels, and it's super, super good uh, post-punk. New Wave, Cranberries, Bobby. Nice. So they've got a female uh, woman that sings in their group. That's, it's she's insane. Like it's insane that she's not famous. Like it's very, very original sounding and very strong. So check out Temple of Angels. I will. I will. Do you prefer European tours or U.S. tours? I don't know if I really prefer either. They're both fun for different reasons. Uh, the U.S. recently has become a better place for me to tour as far as turnout goes. I don't know. It's hard to compare the last two headlining tours because the U.S. was just before coronavirus was announced and then during, almost at the beginning of the, the European tour, it was they were already starting to shut down like Italy and things like that. So I don't know if I can honestly say that the, the European tour was a legit reaction uh, to the new album or if it was part of the pandemic. But, but right now, as far as turnout and energy goes, uh, it's shifted. It used to be it used to be Europe, and now it's the U.S. All of my top listened cities on Spotify, like the top ten, are all American cities. So, what was your favorite place in Europe to tour? I mean, this is cliche, but I love Am- uh, Amsterdam. I really like um, as far as like the shows. Russian shows are insane. Those people go absolutely bonkers. Um, for live music, it's a it's a very um, different place. It's tough. I'm gonna go look at the comments and see. Um, I'm gonna choose three questions. If you guys want to start submitting your comments right now, to ask you, and we're gonna see what y'all say. Okay, so someone said Austria, Austria, Salzburg, yes. Vienna, Vienna. Yes. <laughs> they helped you out. <laughs> someone said, I don't know why James can't just say Manchester. <laughs> Oh, I do love Manchester. I do love Manchester. It's a yeah, yeah. very good city. It's hard to remember all the places because everything, I, I don't, it's hard to choose a favorite because I like places for for so many different reasons. The people there or like Manchester's, you know, got a college, a university right in the center. So it's youthful and it's bustling and it feels positive. And Vienna's like that too. Everybody's smiling. The weather's beautiful every time I'm there anyways. So I'm going to choose three questions, guys. Okay, so I have one from Adam Beck. He says, what did it feel like touring with Mayhem? We were on the bus with Mayhem, and, um, you know, I made some some pretty lasting friendships, a couple, like two on that tour, maybe three. Uh, everybody in the Gauls crew, well, they were total sweethearts. You know, the Mayhem bus was chaotic it was insane it was tiring it was just a non-stop cliche party and yeah i mean it was it was probably what you think it was it was late night <laughs> arguments about fucking why being a nazi's wrong it was, like i shouldn't have to argue these points but this these things happened or why you know ultra conservatism is stifling to so many people so yeah it was that and then also being drunk and having the hellhammer spilled like an entire bowl of vodka in my lap one night i mean it was yeah it was not um it was fun but i probably wouldn't do it again no offense charles and to t- uh, everybody else in mayhem you guys are awesome but uh, you're intense <laughs> Any chance on another or more Nine Inch Nails covers? Possibly. Uh, I want to do a cover on the next album. It's just so hard to pick because there's so many great songs and there's so many great ones that have been redone um, in a way that I don't... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, It's hard to do uh, some of those Nine Inch Nails songs justice, man, because I, I hold the first two records, especially in such high regard. So I don't know. It's not, it's not impossible. It could happen. I don't know why you just won't say closer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a really good one up here, and I'm mad that I didn't, I didn't have this question before. The previous question was from Alex Gertzma, and now I'm going to ask you a question that Francisco Rendon asked. He said, what's the inspiration behind your name and album art? Uh, well, the name, when I started 
this ghost, the other ghost, I think had only put out one album and I hadn't even listened to them. I knew they existed because I have a lot of friends that play a metal band, but I heard a couple minutes of like one of their early songs and I was like, well, this just sounds like Will Oyster Cult to me. So I wasn't really interested and I didn't think they were going to be a thing, but I had to spell it differently. Coincidentally, I think it's the actual old English way to spell ghost. There was no H because there is no H when you say ghosts. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous phonetically. It doesn't make sense. So that's the inspiration behind the name and why it's spelled the way it is. What was the other part of the question? Oh, the album artwork. Yes. So like Behemoth, I think, was the first major artwork that I commissioned. And it was Fortifum who's done work with Perturbator and Carpenter Brute and everyone else. It was supposed to be like the cover of The Thing by John Carpenter. I think you could, it's pretty obvious if you look at it. Uh, oh, and then Non Paradisi was also Fortifum. And I don't remember whose idea it was to use the Salvador Doors, Dory, however you say his name, his original artwork of Paradise Lost, you know, the inspiration, the artwork inspired by. But the, the album's based on the book. I was reading it at the time. And so it's just literally, you know, a walk through the seven circles of hell. And then with Possessor, I wanted to kind of break away from everything. You know, like I said, everybody uses four of them. Everybody's albums are bright and colorful and neon. And so I wanted to just move on a bit. And that was my idea, totally. But I work with a a photographer that's local here. His name's Jason Woodward. He's awesome. So that's that. And the last album was done by... His name right now. Um, it's the dude that worked with. Um, oh my god, he works with like MGLA and all those newer aged black metal dudes. He's a really good guy. I met him at a, a festival I played in Iceland, and uh, he's super super talented. Like the art, you know, if if you if you look up the artist's name, I, I'm, I feel like crap because I can't think of it right now. Okay, but, um, okay. uh, his, the rest of his artwork, some of it is insane, like 3D modeling artwork. Yeah. It's just like he builds these huge universes in these in these music videos that he makes. Um, so the, the the inspiration behind the Valediction artwork was uh, Valediction is you know like burying your past, moving on, looking to the future. Which I think that album really was. It was like a page turn for me. It was like okay, I'm letting you all know. I'm gonna do some weird shit from here on out. <laughs> That's a fair, fair warning. Fair warning, I think. <laughs> what are you currently working on? I'm working on the new album. It's gonna be on Central Media again, I believe. It's called The Fear. I'm about seven songs into it. Uh, I posted a small teaser. It's gonna be, like I said earlier, it's like Behemoth, Possessor, Valediction, and then like. Uh, Sisters of Mercy all stirred in a pot like it's got all the extreme stuff that you like about the earlier ghost stuff it's got I think the vocals sound much better than than they did on Valediction uh, we tried very hard on Valediction we, we had a limited time we had like a week to record the vocals and mas- mixture and master the whole album so uh, I was in a studio for the first time with this project and I think we focused too hard on getting the vocals perfect so a lot of the life it got sucked out of them. Uh, but I think you'll be able to hear that on the new record. I think it's much more, if you like my old stuff and you didn't like Valediction, I think you're going to like The Fear. It's still a change. It's still progress, but it's not as polarizing. And it's, you know, my production. So it's going to be loud and bass heavy and punchy drums again, uh, all that stuff. So excited. Um, and if there's one thing you could say to your audience and fan base, what would it be? Be... Be nice to, to people, <laughs> you know, listen to people before you judge them. Don't bully anyone. The world is awful enough already. I mean, it's obvious now. Everybody in every country nearly is seeing huge division lines socially. Um, but I think we've gotten out of this thinking that we can work together as a population. You know, it's us against the government. I mean, people need to remember that. that no one's right, no one's wrong necessarily all the time, but the government works for us and let's not hate each other because of the decisions that those people are making. It's, they don't give a fuck about your middle class or 
poor life that you're living. They have no idea what it's like. They've never been in the suburbs. So be nice to each other and try and make the world a better place if you can, just by being positive. Love it. It's a very powerful message. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Um, we're at the end. We wrapped it up. And how are you feeling um, right now about this? Good. It was fun. Um, like I said, I've just been, I've had my nose, you know, stuck in my computer working on the new album pretty intensely for the last like six weeks. So it's, it's a nice change of pace and yeah, it's fun. I feel good like, break. I feel like an artist again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel good. Um, who do you sacrifice as tribute for the next person I should ask to jump on a Q and a with me? Mm. Could you do? I mean, if you could get James from Perturbator, I don't know why he said he's not doing interviews. I think he's kind of busy right now with his new album, and he's doing like two side projects. It's got so much energy, but he would be great because he's he's like one of my best friends. He's a genuine person. Who can I throw to the wolves? I mean, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm working on it. Okay, I'm doing my best. It's, um, <laughs> the dudes uh, from Dance with the Dead. Those guys are funny. I think they're yes. really funny. I asked Tom. him too. We're waiting. <laughs> I, I got like a stroke of bravery after I asked you and I was like, I'm just going to go ahead and ask like a couple other people and just see what happens. Yeah, so. you, you won't know until you ask. I mean, but I exactly. just, yeah. Awesome. People are bored. It's, this is the weirdest time to be <laughs> right, on alive. I think at least in my lifetime, I'm, I'm over it. Yeah, I think we all are for sure. All right. Well, thanks again so much for coming. And I know everybody is super happy to hear from you and excited to hear about what's going on in your world. So thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. Yeah.